welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, everybody. My name is Hallie. Uh, I do the music and arts things here. Um, for our call to worship today, I'm going to share a poem written by Tanya Runyon, um, highlighting Joseph's perspective of Jesus' birth. Um, in our Advent series, we're talking about um, each of these people in the Christmas story, and today we'll be talking about Joseph. So as I read this, I'll invite you to stand if you're able, um, and then we'll move into our time of worship together. Of any birth, I thought this would be a clean one, like pulling white linen from a loom. But when I return to the cave, Mary throws her cloak over the bloody straw and cries. I know she wants me to leave. There he lies, stomach rising and falling, a shriveled pod that does nothing but stare at the edge of the feeding trough with the dark, unsteady eyes. Is he God enough to know that I am poor, that we had no time for a midwife that swine ate from his bed this morning? If the angel is right, he knows. He knows that Mary's swell embarrassed me, that I was jealous of her secret skyward smiles, that now I want to run into these hills and never come back. Peace, peace. I've heard in my dreams, this child will make you right. But I can only stand here, not a husband, not a father, my hands hanging dumbly at my sides. Do I touch him, this child who is mine and not mine? Do I enter into the kingdom of blood and stars? Um, hi, Awaken. I'm Danny Langseth. I am the treasurer here at Awaken, and happy financial update Sunday to you or as we like to call it, sweater vest Sunday, um, because you just, you just trust a guy talking numbers with a sweater vest, right? Um, and I'm here this morning to share a number of very exciting updates with you guys. Um, so first, wanna start by giving you a rundown on where Awaken's finances sit a couple months into our fiscal year. Um, you might remember from back like at annual meeting timing that our budget this year was a pretty big leap. Uh, we hoisted the sales high for an exciting ministry season um, and excited to give you an update on that. Um, many of our biggest steps forward this year came in changes to our staffing model. We're moving from a mostly part-time staffing model to a mostly full-time staffing model. So um, a couple of the highlights of what's included in that. We expanded Sarah, Trevor, and Eric's roles. All three of them are now in full-time roles. Yeah, again, I'm seeing Trevor, Trevor's clapping. He likes this. <laughs> this is good. Um, we made some bigger salary resets. So there's been a lot of inflation over the course of the last couple years. So gave our staff bigger than normal raises this year to keep pace with that. Um, Mike is glad about that. <laughs> um, and then also, um, we made plans to allow Jenna to leave on a fully paid 26-week long parental leave. And then invited Art Morrow on board to serve as interim executive uh, pastor while she is away. Um, so all very, very exciting changes, and that comes at a pretty big increase, almost a 20% increase to our budgeted expenses this year. So I have certainly been anxious to see where the numbers will come in. You might be too, and that's, uh, that's what we're here to talk about. Um, so we're now a third of the way through our 2024 fiscal year. Reminder, it runs from July through June. Um, the numbers will be here on the screen behind me. Um, so there's three sets of numbers to look at. On the left is last year. That's like the, the orangey numbers. 
you see the big step up to the pink numbers. That's our budget. So like I just walked through, big increase in budgeted expenses. The thing to notice here, though, is the tall green bars. That's what we've actually taken in in gifts so far this year. And you'll see that all of those are bigger uh, than last year by a lot, and we're keeping pace with budget. Um, so, so far this fiscal year, we've seen a 30% increase in giving versus last year, and are $1,000 ahead of our budget. So yeah, thank you so much for your generosity. Very much worthy of that round of applause. Um, thank you for making that possible. Um, out of that same spirit of abundance, this morning I also have the privilege of announcing an exciting missional opportunity on behalf of the advisory team, and especially Alyssa Paulson and Donna Albinson who've been helping to coordinate this. Um, this Christmas season we're going to be investing $20,000 in missional activity in the form of four $5,000 missional grants, and you as the congregation have an opportunity to help us to determine where those grants should be sent. Um, a little bit of history. While our congregation was in limbo with the ECC, our advisory team made the decision to pause our tithing activity um, to the ECC and put those dollars in an account uh, to, at a later date, determine where those dollars should be go. So, you know, here we are, fast forward, Awaken has now um, left the ECC, and after much prayer and discernment among our leadership team, we've made the decision that we want to invest a portion of those dollars back into the community. And so today, a portion of those funds, $20,000, are going to be made available to donate and invest in ministries, in organizations, doing work involving justice um, and marginalized communities. And instead of making those decisions on our own as a leadership team, we want to engage you and invite you to be part of that process. So anyone in our community will have an opportunity uh, to, to make a nomination to determine where those funds should go. Um, tomorrow, this will open up on the website and you'll have about three weeks. Anyone can submit a proposal um, for where each of those uh, $5,000 grants, four of them, should be sent. Um, you may remember that we hosted a similar um, missional um, giving process a couple years ago where after the pandemic, we'd received a number of um, benevolence gifts. Those original missional grants from a couple years ago have had a huge part in shaping Awaken as it is today and our ministry partners today. So we are trusting in the Spirit's guidance among us and so eager to see where those missional grants will go and, and where it might lead Awaken in the next chapter. So as we enter the Christmas season, I want to leave you today with an invitation to join in supporting Awaken both ongoing and especially as part of year-end giving. Um, like a lot of nonprofits, Awaken is really reliant on December giving to make our budget work. So typically, we receive about 25% of our total gifts in December. Um, last year was a banner year. We received $160,000 in gifts from 201 individuals and families. This December, we're hoping to blow both of those numbers out of the water and inviting you to be part of that. So if you consider Awaken your home, please consider joining us in year-end giving. Um, Micah gives the rundown every single week. There's the black boxes by the door. You can set up a gift uh, recurring on the website. There's QR codes on the pews in front of you. You can use Venmo. We can receive stock gifts. If you'd like to, to do that, reach out to me. Um, we want to try to make this as easy as possible for you. Um, so obviously, like we just talked about, it's a huge step in our ministry this year. We're so grateful for all of your generosity so far this year, um, and thank you for all the ways that you'll continue to support Awaken in ongoing giving and as we approach year end. Thank you. Thanks, Danny.
Um, not a lot of pastors get to get up after an update like that. It's usually, usually very different um, for folks who sit in roles like the one I sit in. So thank you to you all as a church. Uh, I've said this before, the most generous group of people I've ever served with and worked with. So thank you. Um, want to let you know about some of the things that those dollars and, and resources and support help make happen. So a couple of things we want to let you know about. Uh, the first of which is there is uh, uh, Walking with the Purpose is one of our ministry partners in the back. There's a clothing drive that we're doing during the month of November. So you can bring clothes for that. Uh, the, the list of which is in the back and in our Awaken Weekly through this month. So we're grateful for those donations. Um, we have had what, what we called spiritual direction groups in the past, where groups of three to four people would meet together once a month or so. Uh, and the goal was really to listen on behalf of God for and with one another. So it's kind of like spiritual direction, but um, not just one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, those are being rebooted and kind of reformatted. We're calling them listening groups. So if you're interested in that at all, this is kind of right in the center of our listening formational target from our last series discerning and learning how to hear our own voice, but also the voice of God. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m. on Zoom, just an informational session you can participate in for that. Uh, there is a Camino planning meeting next Sunday after church, uh, second hour, so we're inviting uh, you to consider going on the Camino next fall for a pilgrimage, the Portuguese way, and uh, I will be leading that after church, so t just info, uh, you can come, learn about it, hear about it, what it will cost, um, what it will take, uh, some of the details, That'll be right after second hour. And if you could sign up, um, that'd be great. We're going to try to provide some snacks. That invitation and sign up is online. And um, there is a, a lunch also happening next week after church uh, hosted by our queer community. And so that's at A-Side, right behind the church here at noon. And last but not least, if you're interested in choir. Last year we had a Christmas choir, and it was one of the highlights for me of the season. It was beautiful. We're going to do that again. So if you want to sing in the choir... Uh, you can talk to Hallie or Michelle Whalen. Um, their info is in the Awaken Weekly and online. Sound good? Okay, friends, let's jump in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, I was 18 years old when my brother Matt, ironically, Matthew is my brother, but he didn't write the book of the Bible that we're studying today. Ah, ha, ha, come on, everybody. There we go, there we go. It's a good pastor joke for you. I've got my own book, too, Micah. Uh, Matt and I, he, uh, I'm 18 years old, we put all my things in his Mazda 323 and we drove across uh, the country on a journey through Iowa and Nebraska, which I made some incendiary comments about first hour and then heard about by some people who lived in Nebraska, so I will not make them this hour, and all the way into Colorado, which is where I went to undergrad at Colorado Christian University. I had never been to the school. I had never seen it, never stepped foot on it. I had not met anyone from it, and so I thought it would be a good idea to go there. Uh, that's kind of a window into how I roll, how I do my life in some ways. And uh, it was, uh, so we got there, welcome weekend, a bunch of, you know, upper, uh, overexcited upperclassmen welcoming us to, to, to school. We dropped off my stuff, met my roommates, and my grandpa had given my brother $50 to take me out to breakfast when he dropped me off. So we went to Perkins, had breakfast, brought me back to school, said, good luck, Opie, which was my, what my nickname um, on the hockey team, good luck, Opie, and then he drove away. And that was my journey to like going to college, and I remember it very vividly, and it shapes and informs who I am in a lot of ways. We're going to continue our series on the journeys of Christmas, and we're looking at these folks who are sort of adjacent to the Christmas story and the journeys that they went on, trying to understand what it would have been like to sit in their shoes and live their lives and read these stories from the Gospels of Matthew and of Luke. Uh, last week, we looked at Zechariah, 
And uh, the, the father of John the Baptist, who is visited by an angel, his mouth is closed for nine months. And this week, we're going to look at Joseph, uh, Joseph and, of Joseph and Mary, whose journey is maybe a little more internal than it is external, but uh, we're going to try to wonder uh, about what it was like to, to be in his shoes. So, Matthew chapter 1, I'll invite Al to come and read our scripture this morning. If you uh, would join me in standing in body or in spirit for the reading of the word. Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to the public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Pray with me. God, this morning we gather and we turn our attention to this ancient story, this one that's been told countless times over the generations, and we look to it for guidance about what it means to be human, what it means to follow this Jesus. Um, and so I pray that by your spirit you would speak to us, offer us a word of encouragement and invitation to continue to follow you, Jesus, on this way. We pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the spirit. The church said together, amen, amen. You may be seated. Uh, in the time we have remaining, I want to look at three aspects of this journey that Joseph takes. Uh, again, a, a journey that's maybe more internal than it is external. We're, we're sort of filling in some of the blanks, as it were, doing a little midrash, wondering and, and thinking about the spaces in between the lines of the story. Um, but I want to I look at some, uh, the unconventional and untraditional nature of this, and then I want to look at power for a moment, and then uh, this idea of righteousness. So let's take those in turn. Uh, what's untraditional and unconventional? A couple weeks ago, Trevor and I lead our confirmation class with a group of other uh, volunteer leaders at Awaken, and we were playing trivia. And so the final uh, question for trivia, which was a real mind-bender, is who is the father of Jesus? It's a tricky one, right? It's a little tricky one. You think you might know the answer, but arguably it's a little nuanced, right? Uh, and so being judge and jury, nobody got it right according to my, my definition of, uh, or my answer to this question. And uh, we, I think we really get, we find it in verse 18 of what we just read. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So the correct answer is the Holy Spirit, friends, who is the father of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, kind of weird to think about, uh, that the Holy Spirit was the other active party in this miraculous conception, uh, and pregnancy, and without going into a bunch of details about the virgin birth, or the Catholic belief in the virgin birth, or 
you know, the importance of the virgin birth or whether or not you believe in the virgin birth or, you know, the, the existence of other virgin birth stories in the ancient world. We're not going to go into all of those details or, or interesting as they are, but I want to I explore uh, this untraditional nature of this passage. So first, Mary's pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, if you don't know, in the ancient world, there would have been arranged marriages, so one family has a son, another family has a daughter, and the men of those families would have agreed and gotten together and thought to themselves, like, this is a good idea. Our son, my son, will marry your daughter. They would work out those details, and at a certain point, uh, that would happen. And they did this for a whole host of reasons, right? Tribal strength and familial kind of connection, uh, livestock, land, and anything that would have been advantageous to the family or the community that surrounded the family. So marriage in the ancient world was not about individual rights or individual love or falling in love with another person. Uh, that's just not how it was. And whatever you think about that, it's fine. I've actually started to think that maybe arranged marriages might not be a bad idea. You know, like, think about this, right? You have kids and you're like, they, you don't know who they're going to marry. It's just a crapshoot, right? You just hope it's, if they get married that it's somebody you like. And then the whole in-law bit, you know what I mean? You're, you're stuck with these, I mean, you're connected to these people for the rest of your lives. And you have no say in the matter. You know, it's like, if you could, you know, we love this family. We spend time with them. We love their parents. We, and we think their kid's great. You guys should get married. I don't think it's a bad idea. Yeah? No? Okay. All right. Uh, either way, uh, this is how it worked in the ancient world. And so when the two families had agreed upon all the details, there was a price for the, the dowry, it was called. You know, if you were to lose a woman in the household, that was a valuable asset. And so it was worth something in the ancient world. So as the, 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 the groom's parents, you would pay a, a price for that, a dowry, it was called. And what would happen is uh, a bit of a ceremony, a betrothal ceremony. So the young boy would come to the daughter or come to the house of the, of the girl, and he would knock on the door, and he would have a glass of wine with him. And uh, the door would be answered, and the, the girl would be, would be brought to the boy, and he would, he would essentially offer this cup of wine and say something to the effect of, I won't drink this cup again until I drink it with you on our wedding. And if the, and, and, which was essentially to promise himself uh, and, and in faithfulness and then in marriage to this girl. And if she accepted, then she would drink the wine, effectively saying, I will not drink of this cup until I drink it with you on our wedding night. Does that sound familiar to anyone? This is what Jesus says to the disciples in the Last Supper. I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. He inserts a betrothal ceremony right into the Last Supper, which was a script that you didn't deviate from. Fascinating. Not what we're talking about today, but I can't pass it up. It's so juicy. So uh, that would happen, and then um, they, would be, they would be promising themselves to one another, and then he would leave, uh, the, the young man. He would leave and go back to his father's home, and he would begin to construct a dwelling place for his family. Does it sound familiar to anybody? Jesus says to his disciples, I'm leaving you, but I'm going back to my father's house to prepare a room for you. See, this is all, this is all in there. So we have Mary, who's pledged to be married to Joseph. Let's start there. Now, secondly, uh, this phrase, that, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Came together is not just in like proximity to one another. This is a Greek word. It's the, the word Synerkomai, and it means to come together, but it also means like of conjugal cohabitation. So kids in the room, you see what's happening here? Right? This is what you would say. It's a euphemism, okay, for consummating the marriage. Um, what is Matthew making clear here? Mary and Joseph have not consummated this union. 
Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. Rather, he becomes the adoptive father of Jesus. Now, if you've been around the church at all, maybe you recognize and have heard lots of talk about the family. And typically that's in defense of a particular kind of family where there's one man and one wife and who, who procreate and have children. And that's what we call the nuclear family. And I don't want to undermine the fact of this reality for, like, many people, humans who've walked the face of the earth. That's not my intention. But I do think it's important that we hold space for non-traditional, untraditional, unconventional families and definitions of families. And what it means to be a father and what it means to be a mother and who plays those role in our lives. Um, the holy family is an untraditional fi- family. Joseph is not Jesus' father. Someone else is Jesus' father. And yet, Joseph takes him in, adopts him, and raises him as if he is his own. This is part of his journey, that Jesus is not his son. Mary's pregnant with somebody else's baby. And Joseph has to wrestle with that and what to do in that situation. And in a situation which would have been littered with all kinds of expectations, both socially and religiously, for Joseph and what he should do or shouldn't do in the situation, especially as a man, which leads me to power. So we have this untraditional family, this unconventional family, Joseph as a man, and uh, the power that he holds. We've been, a couple of us at Awaken are your emissaries in what's called the Riverside Innovation Hub, and we've been going, in, going through this, uh, it's a grant given to Augsburg College by the Lilly Foundation, and their goal is to aid and walk with Um, churches to to really home in on like what does it mean to be neighbor in place so for us as a congregation what does it mean for us to know and understand and listen to our neighbors who surround this community what are their hopes and their dreams Um, what are the assets that we have right so that's what the work that we're doing together and uh, this last week on Thursday night we were being led by Dave Shearer and Joe Davis a white guy and a black guy and they worked together on helping uh, develop and increase your intercultural competency and capacity. So your ability to recognize difference and and function in uh, intercultural relationships. And one of the things they invited us to do in this process was, when you read scripture, look at scripture and the passage you're reading through the lens of power. And ask these three questions. Who has power? What's the source of that power? Or what kind of power is it? And what do they do with it? So for us, we were reading Zacchaeus and the story of Zacchaeus. But let's think about it in our passage that we read this morning. Last week, we talked about Zechariah, and we even looked at Zechariah, his power as a man, right? He's a Levite. He's a priest. Um, He has a certain amount of power as a respected uh, member of the Israelite community, and his power, his voice, is taken, right? He's forced to do something different with his power than he would have done previously, And he remains silent for nine months. He can't speak. He has no agency, as it were, in the story. And others do have agency, and they speak, and they take up space. For Joseph, what's his story, right? He has power. He's a man in a patriarchal ancient society. He is in a contract, a legal binding contract of betrothal and marriage and hopefully procreation with a subordinate person who would have been Mary, his wife. She's found to be pregnant with somebody else's baby. And according to the law of Israel, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah. Well done, everybody. That's the law. According to the law in Deuteronomy 22, Joseph had the power of life and death over Mary. She's found to be pregnant with somebody else's baby, not Joseph. She's had relations, whatever, the, whatever kind you want to call them, with someone to find herself pregnant prior to marriage. And according to the law, at the very least, Joseph could divorce her, which is what he intends to do. And at the very worst, he could stone her. So what does he do with his power? What do you do with your power? How do you hold it? How do you wield it? Where do, you ins where do you apply it, and in what way do you apply it? These are questions that I think are very important for Jesus' followers to think about. Because, as we look at our story this morning, we watch Joseph. First, he decides to quietly divorce Mary, right? And he's trying, essentially, not to publicly disgrace her and expose her. He uses his power in a way not to diminish or to destroy a life, but rather to save it, to spare it. And then he's met by an angel, and he goes even further than that. He, he lays down his power, and he assumes the role in the situation of Mary and all that came with it. Can you imagine the scuttlebutt at the local bar about Mary and Joseph and this situation and how he lays down his power, and he engages, and he offers a, a relationship to Mary and he didn't have to do either of those two things. He didn't have to divorce her quietly. He could have brought charges against her publicly. And he certainly doesn't have to marry her. But he does. As we follow the Jesus story, I would argue that we find a different kind of relationship to power. When we see Jesus, and he's in positions of power and has power, he uses it differently. And he invites us to do the same. I would argue that maybe he learned it from his father, Joseph who applies his power in a different kind of way. So a few questions for us this morning. What power do you have? If power is the ability to act, that's the definition they gave, I like that. Power is the ability to act. What power do you have? And what's its source? Is it your body? Is it your gender? Is it your socioeconomic status? Is it your nationality? Is it the, the, the color of your skin? Is it your education? What's the source of your power? And then how do you see that power, hold that power, apply that power through the lens of Joseph and the way of Jesus in the world? That's the invitation, one of the invitations I would submit this morning, which leads me to one final observation about righteousness. In verse 19, we read, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. The Greek there is about uh, this word dikaios, and it means righteous or observing divine laws, upright, virtuous, keeping the commands of God. 41 times that word is translated in the King James as righteous. Right? It says that, that Joseph was faithful to the law, but that's really what it means. He's a righteous, essentially, he's an observant Jew. He follows Torah. He uh, uh, adheres to and submits to the commands of God. So, why is Joseph going to marry or divorce Mary? Well, because she's found to be pregnant outside of marriage. Back to Deuteronomy 22. Here's what the law says about Joseph and what he was to do, okay? Deuteronomy 22:13. If a man takes a wife and after sleeping with her, pause, sorry, um, trigger warning, or this is really barbaric. This is like ancient and very weird, and if you think it's weird or barbaric, that's okay because it is, okay? Okay. Uh, 
If a man takes a wife and after sleeping with her, dislikes her and slanders her and gives her a bad name saying, I married this woman, but when I approached her, air quotes, I did not find proof of her virginity. He could bring these charges against that woman. And in the section in between, the parents can, can like argue that and try to provide proof of virginity for their daughter, which don't ask. I have no idea how that works. Okay. But it goes on and it says, if, however, the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. The law, Torah, says this is what Joseph is to do. Matthew says Joseph is righteous, but Joseph doesn't follow the law. Joseph's following the law would have killed the Christ. Potentially. Joseph's strict adherence to Torah, scripture, the law, potentially would have killed Mary and the baby within. Isn't this a fascinating conversation? What is righteousness? What does it mean to be righteous? Maybe you've heard some things about this growing up in the church. You know, you, you obey the, the Bible. You adhere to the scriptures. You Submit to the wisdom of God found in the word of God. You follow the rules. You believe the right things about God. What, what does it mean to be righteous? We've talked about this before, and I want to close here. We did a series called Iterations, where we looked at the different iterations of God's people in Scripture. And when we get to the New Testament, when we get to Jesus, we find that in the book of Acts, there are a number of moments where it would appear that the Spirit of God invites the apostles, the new church of Jesus followers, to go beyond the previous boundaries that would have existed. Acts chapter 8 is the Ethiopian eunuch and how you are to treat folks of that sort. Acts chapter 10 is Peter and Cornelius and what you're to do with food sacrificed to idols and whether or not you should eat with Gentiles. Acts chapter 15 and Gentiles who are uncircumcised and whether or not they're to be welcomed into the new family of God. Multiple times, again and again, we find the Spirit of God inviting the apostles to go beyond the boundaries that had previously been set. And it would appear here in the story of Joseph, Joseph is invited, he has a moment with God, with an angel, and he's invited to go beyond the boundaries that had previously been set. So what does it mean to be righteous? I would argue that there is a way to understand this word that is, we could call it, fundamentalist where it is rigid and rules and it is the Bible and how it's interpreted according to us and you should then apply those and submit to that and that's what it means to be righteous. And I would suggest to you that that's a version of fundamentalism that many of you have, you're here because you've experienced that or you know about that and it's not doing it for you. Am I barking up the right tree? Okay, so then friends, this is the exciting thing. We get to trust in the fact that the Spirit of God is still speaking and inviting the church to move into what? Into spaces that for our advancement and our personal gain? No. Into spaces that always have to do with sacrificial love, that always have to do with justice and mercy, that always have to do with restoration and empowerment, not domination. And when the Spirit of God invites us to move into those spaces, and it may be beyond the boundaries that had previously been set, we have precedence the lawyers in the room, how am I doing? We have precedence, we've got case law here that this is a move we can make and we can move with courage and, and excitement and following the Spirit of God. Is anybody interested in that? Okay, 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 okay. 
That takes a lot of maturity. It takes a lot of emotional health and spiritual health. It takes wisdom of elders and those who have gone before us. It takes the young, because if you don't see the kingdom through the eyes of the child, you're not going to get it, Jesus says. It takes a community of people who trust and walk with one another to follow the spirit where the spirit leads the church. Amen? So, to the church gathered this morning, may Joseph's example of an untraditional family speak into, inform how we understand what it means to be family for and with one another. May we be open to, right? May Joseph's relationship with power and his willingness to lay it down for the sake of another inform who we are and how we are and how we walk in the world. And may we follow like Joseph beyond the boundaries that maybe previously had been set when we sense the spirit of God moving in that direction. Right? We don't do that flippantly. We don't do that loosely. We take it very seriously, and we lean into that with intention and wisdom and courage and prayer and scripture and the witnesses of those who have gone before us. But we don't stay stuck. We don't freeze the text because that's death. The word of God is alive and is the person of Jesus and has resurrected from the dead and is loose by the Spirit in the world and is still moving and guiding. The words of God in Scripture bear witness to that Jesus, but let's not stop here. Because then we're stoning women for making mistakes, right? We're, 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 we're welcoming and we have, we have reason for genocide. That's all in here. So we can't stop, amen? Okay. For you this morning. <laughs> sometimes I, 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 somebody asked me, like, Mike, a sport coat today. And I said, yeah, you gotta, sometimes you gotta dress and, like, remind the people that you know what you're doing. <laughs> Whether or not I do or <laughs> remains to be seen. But let me offer a word of prayer, and I want to invite you to this table to consider these words and to come to this table, which reminds us of this story. So pray with me. God, we gather in this place this morning and we're going to take a few moments to be still and to be silent and to be quiet. We recognize that uh, the preacher doesn't always know what they're talking about. And you have a word for us today. You have uh, an invitation for us in our lives individually and collectively. And so, God, if there's anything I've said that is of you, may it last, may it be planted, may it take root in us, and if there's anything I've said that's not of you, I pray that it would be forgotten forever. May your words remain. Holy Spirit, do your work in us. To the church gathered this morning at Awaken, may you go with this blessing and know it from the bottoms of your feet to the top of your head. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, Amen. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter, my community. See you next time.